Now, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to uh, Jonah chapter 4? And we're going to be wrapping up our series in uh, Jonah today. And I'm briefly going to cover chapter 3 while we spend the bulk in Jonah chapter 4. So we're going to be in 3 and 4, but mostly in 4 today. And uh, we're going to take, we've been taking a deep dive in the life of Jonah. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. Uh, And we left off last week right after where this video ends. So we're right in sync with the video. Uh, If you remember, Jonah was a man that was called by God, prophet of God, and he was told to go to Nineveh. And God said, go. Jonah said, no. He hops a ship to Tarshish, which is a polar opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Uh, There's a storm that happens. They toss Jonah overboard. The storm recedes. Jonah is then swallowed by uh, a giant fish. And in the belly of the great fish, Jonah has an intercessory prayer meeting where he calls out to God from uh, the land of the dead. He calls it shale, which um, you and I would call hell. So he's calling out from hell, and in the middle of his pain and anguish, God hears him. God answers his call. God delivers him supernaturally, and we left off last week uh, with God, uh, the, the I'm sorry, the, the giant fish there vomiting Jonah out onto dry land. And there, once Jonah is on the beach, God gives him a word a second time. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And uh, we learn that God is a God of second chances. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys are glad that God give you a second chance and, and a third chance and a fourth chance? Our God is a God of second chances. And so verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. So this is a different attitude, a different result, and of course, a different outcome. How many of you guys know that when you obey the voice of the Lord in your life, that your life will have a vastly different traje- trajectory? God will change your life and lead you into new paths. So Jonah obeys, and it's a totally different story. Um, He begins prophesying to the city of Nineveh, and in verse 5, it tells us the Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was a, a symbol of humbling yourself uh, before God in the Old Testament. And so there's this total heart change amongst the Ninevites. Uh, so, much, so much that it goes from the smallest in the, in the town all the way to the top. And in verse 8, it gets to the king. And the king says, let everyone call urgently on God. What an incredible statement from the king. Sometimes I wish that our presidents would issue a decree in our land, let everyone urgently call on the name of God. How different would things be if, if, we, if we instituted that in our country or in our lives? Let everyone call urgently on God and then give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
So there's like this massive turnaround in Nineveh. Now, one cool detail in our story, it doesn't present itself in biblical text, but if you read Assyrian history, you will find out that the Ninevites were pagans, and they had pagan gods. And one of the gods that they worshipped was Dagon. Now, if you remember from Bible stories, Dagon was the same uh, god that the Philistines were worshipping when Samson pushed down the temple, and the temple all fell on them. And so Dagon was this pagan god. And uh, this is all going to make sense when you see a picture of him. Um, Brock, if you could put this picture up. This is a picture of Dagon. This is the god, the pagan god that the Ninevites worshipped. He was half fish, half man. He was the god of the sea whom the Ninevites worshipped. Now this is significant because when Joseph a prophet of the, the one true God shows up, you better believe that all of Nineveh was very attentive from the man that came from a belly of a fish. See, if you remember in chapter 2, the belly of the fish was shale. It was hell. But God used Jonah's worst experience to give him favor in Nineveh. How many of you guys know that God can use your worst experiences in life? God can use you and the things that you've been through and the things that you wish that you never had in your past and the things where you failed God. God can use your rock bottoms in the next season in your life. Because in the next season, you can inspire someone that's going through that same issue or that same thing. So God delivered Jonah from a literal hell trapped inside of a fish to deliver a nation trapped in a spiritual hell, trapped under the spell of a fake God. God does the same thing with our sin. When he delivers you from sin, it's for a purpose. When God delivers you, you can now be an instrument that ministers to other people who are caught around you. If you, um, and, and if people see your witness and they see what's happening in your life, people will begin to think, if God can move in their life, then God can move in my life. And if God can set them free, then God can maybe set me free. And they're inspired by what God has done in your life. And so the entire town of Nineveh represents... This turning point. They are saved. And they're saved not because of a prayer that they prayed. They're saved, according to verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them destruction he had threatened. So, so we learn that repentance is not a prayer. Repentance is an action. We'll revisit that a little bit later. So at this point, Jonah, the prophet of God, should have been the happiest guy on earth. He should have been riding on cloud nine. Um, everything that, that he's been working towards and the sermon that he just preached ended in 100% of the people come forward and accepting God in their lives. That's an incredible ratio there. 100% of the people. But if you read through chapter 4, you will find out that Jonah is not happy at all. 
Jonah descends into discontentment. He's miserable on the inside. No matter how many positive things are going on around you, no matter how God is moving around you, Jonah is just miserable on the inside. To me, Jonah represents Ebenezer Scrooge before the three ghosts visit him. He's just an angry, mean type of guy. I've known people like this through the years. Miserable people. You probably know a few too, right? You don't have to raise your hand or agree with me. Just wink, right? Just nod your head if it's the person next to you, right? Uh, We've probably known a few uh, grumpy people. You know, they're like the the Eeyores of the 100-acre forest. They're just drab about everything. And you go over and you try to cheer them up, and they don't cheer up, Right? Because they're just miserable in and of themselves. They have a negative outlook on everything. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a pretty positive guy. I'm, a, I'm not only a glass, glass is half full type of guy. I'm a glass half full and God's going to fill it the rest of the way to overflowing type of guy. I just believe that. And so sometimes uh, when I get in the same room or the same conversation or I get around people that have a negative position, I'm going to be honest, that weighs on me a little bit. It bugs me, right? I, I don't know if it bugs you, but it bugs me. And I used to be at a point in my ministry where I felt like a failure because I can't lift their countenance. They're upset, they're mad, they're angry about something, and I can't change them, I can't bring them out of that. And I used to think that it was like this personal attack on me until the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and, and revealed a truth to me that they're not angry and they're not mad with me, the pastor. They're really angry with God. And when you're angry with God, it funnels out into every other area in life. And so, so I learned those people, they need to straighten it out with God. And then their dispositions will change. And this is really the place where Jonah is at in Jonah chapter 4. He's not angry necessarily at Nineveh. He's angry with God. And so today I want to look at five factors that contributed to Jonah's descent into discontentment. Five factors as Jonah descends into discontentment. And through it, learn how you and I cannot follow those same, those same factors. How you and I can experience joy. So uh, I'm looking today at the anatomy of a miserable person. The anatomy of a miserable person. What makes them tick? Now Nineveh had just repented. God had just relented his judgment on them. The whole town is saved. They're in revival. And we pick up the story in chapter 4. Reading at verse 1, it says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And so I want to stop here to look at the first factor that contributes to a miserable disposition, and that is a self-centered perception. Self-centered perception. Perception is the ability to see clearly. 
And we as Christians, our perception is based upon how much our, our view is in line with God's view. And any time that we do not see things like God sees them, we have a misperception, if that makes sense. God sees clearly, we do not. And so Jonah is seeing things through his own self. See, God was moving in the hearts of the Ninevites. The whole town repents, but the very first three words of our text tell us where it all starts going wrong for Jonah. It says, but to Jonah, it seemed wrong. And anytime we elevate our thoughts above God's thoughts, we're going to have problems. Anytime we see things differently than God sees them, we're going to have some problems. That's just the way it works. And so Jonah is perceiving things through his eyes instead of God's eyes. Now let me add some practicality to that. Jonah looks over at the Ninevites and all he sees is Israel's enemy. He sees barbarians. God doesn't see them like that. God sees them as his children. God sees them as people that need forgiveness. Thank God that that's how he saw me when I was lost in my sin. Jonah looks over and he looks at that town and he sees destruction. God doesn't see destruction. God sees forgiveness. Jonah looks over at Nineveh and says, here's a situation and I perceive it is too far gone and God just needs to write them off. But God doesn't view it like that. God says there is no situation that is too, there are no people that are too far gone where I can't step in and bring mercy and bring redemption and bring forgiveness. I am merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the God that Jonah um, is, he doesn't perceive, he doesn't see the same things. And the reason why Jonah doesn't view things the same way that God views them is because he has a totally different agenda. How many of you guys know you can bring your agenda to God, but it usually doesn't work? Right? You can't come to God with your own agenda. It doesn't work. Listen to verse 4 of chapter 3, and we get a glimpse into Jonah's agenda. Verse 4 of chapter 3. So we're backpedaling just a little bit. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I just want you to know that I read this text over and over. That is the entirety of his message. 40 more days and you'll be overthrown. Wow, what a sermon! Right? Where's the message of hope? Where is God's message of forgiveness? Where's his message of repentance? Where's the opportunity for them to turn things around that God is clearly rooting for? There's none of that. Jonah preaches a message through his personal biases. 40 more days and you will be overthrown. 
And so basically, Jonah condemns Nineveh before he ever preaches a message. They're condemned in his heart. And so as a result, Jonah has a different agenda from God. And if you backpedal, or I'm sorry, flip forward back to chapter 4, our text, verse 1, tells us he became angry. It was very wrong, and he became angry. And the Hebrew word for angry here is wehiar, which means to glow, grow warm, or to blaze up. And I thought to myself, this is exact. I know people like this. To glow, right? They get a little red, right? That's the first stage, to get a little red. But it doesn't just stop with a, a disposition where they're getting a little red. They grow warm. The temperature rises a little bit, right? How many of you guys got a spouse where you, you know the thermostat control, right? You can do this. But then lastly, it says to blaze up. That's this, this idea of where Jonah is at. He's just irately angry. It's like, how many of you guys know somebody that goes from zero to like volcano eruption in two seconds, Right? We probably all know somebody like that. It's a massive anger problem. In Proverbs 22, 24, God tells us, steer clear of people like that. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. We don't do that because they wear off on us. They affect us. Jonah's anger burned with him over the Ninevites and over God. And the reason we are given is, is there's probably three factors that, that, that um, three reasons that factored into why Jonah was so angry. One, he just flat out hates the Ninevites. They're barbarians, they're evil, they're Israel's enemy, and he just has a prejudice against them. He just flat out hates them. Right? Like we do to Michigan. Right? Right. Now I'm preaching. I knew I was going to get an amen out of one person. We just don't like them. We're prejudiced against them. Not only maybe that factor, but also the factor that he was worried about his position in life. See, as a Jewish prophet, he could be seen as a uh, Ninevite sympathizer. Hey, Jonah, I thought you were on our side. I thought you were on our team. I thought you were appointed to Israel. But now you're going over and you're, you're sending a message to our enemy, the people that hate us. Maybe it was a pure thing. Maybe the last factor was maybe he failed expectations. As a prophet, he's expected to what he says comes true. And in those days, if you were a prophet and what you didn't say, I mean, I'm sorry, what you said didn't come true, you would be labeled as a false prophet. And there's harsh warnings about false prophets. Deuteronomy 18.20 tells us that the penalty for false prophets is death. And so we just read in chapter 3, Jonah says 40 more days and you'll be overthrown. So on day 41, when nothing happens, 
Jonah has now crossed the threshold into being a false prophet. So maybe that's why his anger is burning within him. And he misperceives the entire situation. And he feels like God has chosen the the barbaric um, city of Nineveh over him and his ministry. And he fails to see the rule that people are more important than ministry. I think it's great that church has programs. And we put programs in place to serve and to minister to people. But how many of you guys know that sometimes that program grows bigger than the people that it serves? And it can never be that way. People come first. God's heart is not necessarily in programs. It's on people. Jonah doesn't perceive it like this. And Jonah feels like a victim in this whole manner. So his first uh, factor in his descent into discontentment is a selfish perception. But it quickly spreads to a second factor. His selfish bad perception leads to a selfish attitude. A selfish attitude. Our descent into discontentment begins with bad perceptions. Anytime you and I say, according to blank line, insert your name, it seems this way, we're off track. Anytime when I say, according to Ken, it seems wrong, it seems right, it seems this. It's, it, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster. Because it shouldn't be according to me, it should be according to God. And the seed of bad perceptions will grow into the plant of selfish, bad attitudes. And this is how Jonah prays in verse 2. He says this, He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, that you are slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So it sounds here like Jonah has this crystal clear idea of who God is. God, you are gracious and you're compassionate. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. You uh, relent from sending calamity. He nails God to a T. However, this wasn't a rallying prayer like, God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that you are that way. He's praying that with a bad attitude because I was rooting for the opposite team. I was rooting the other way. And I knew, God, that you're like that. So he's fretting because he knows that this is going to happen. He knows God is going to forgive them, and he doesn't want God to forgive them. And so he's angry with God. And his attitude in the prayer reflects that. And his bad attitude calls... I mean, it it really shines... In a, in a one word that he uses in there, and it's very telling of his attitude, 
he uses the word forestall. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I tried to forestall God's plan. How many of you guys have ever tried to forestall God's plan? None of us, right? We don't admit that. We don't say, God, that's not me. We would never admit that out loud in church. But a lot of times, you and I, we forestall God's plan with our bad attitudes. How many times do we say, it seems right to us, and because of that, we have a bad attitude about something? How many of you guys know a bad attitude can derail a whole event? It is. Have you guys ever had a vacation that was totally derailed because of one person's bad attitude? Yeah, some of us have had kids. The other half, you still, you're still, you still have to have kids, right? Right? One person's bad attitude can change a whole event. As a young youth pastor, I learned that out. We would have our youth services and youth groups. And I remember one kid, um, he didn't want to be there. His mom always drug him there. Uh, bad attitude every single week. And, and the, the weeks that he was there, you could see his attitude spread to everybody else's attitude around him. It was infectious. And he would forestall what God was trying to do. And so we had a rule in our youth group, check your attitude at the door. I still believe that's a good rule for us as adults. Check our attitudes at the door. Make sure we're in the right mindset. See, you and I can't be angry at God for too long because our boxing arms are too short. We're not going to win against God. So he does not only have a selfish perception, he has a selfish attitude. Which leads me to the next level of discontentment for Jonah. The third factor is he has selfish intentions. How many of you guys know that if you have a bad attitude long enough, it works itself out into actions? Jonah has a bad attitude and he's had it for a while. And despite everything he's been through, despite the Ninevites receiving God's grace, despite the revival that's happening around him, Jonah does very little to repair the attitude that's within him. If you keep a bad attitude long enough, it will work itself out into bad intentions. Listen to Jonah's plan to remedy his entire issue. His entire undealt with issue. This is Jonah's plan in verse 3. The end of his prayer. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He would rather die than to... This is a bad place to be, folks. He's got bad intentions. He's once again in a place where he wishes he were dead. 
After God supernaturally provided a fish to save his life while he's bobbing in the depths of the ocean. While God supernaturally spared his life and delivered him to dry land. While God used him in a mighty powerful way to bring revival to the town of Nineveh. Jonah had not changed one bit. And this is the sad part of the story. To be a part of what God is doing and to see God moving all around you and to never let it penetrate inside of you. To see God change everything around you but to not let God change you on the inside. It's a shame. Friends, repentance is not prayer. It's an action. Numerous people today will go to church all over our world and never let God change them on the inside. And it's sad. And it's extreme and it's dramatic, the prayer that Jonah has. Jonah says, I would rather die than change. Some of you guys know some people like that. Probably some stubborn men. Right? They would rather die than change. Every time that you and I do not allow God to change us on the inside, we flirt with our own spiritual death. We say, God, I would rather die than allow you to change me. In our anatomy of a miserable person, it just doesn't stop with self-centered perceptions and selfish attitudes and selfish intentions, it gets even worse. If we don't check ourselves, it leads to self-justifications. And this is the point where you know someone is really wrestling with God. Because they try to validate their position... before God and before others. This is the point in churches where usually gossip starts rearing its ugly head. And people will try to cling to anyone or anything to justify their position. Gossip is nothing more than spreading a narrative that is from your own personal perspective while trying to find misplaced lateral justifications. That's good, I wrote that this week. I'm thinking about sending that into Webster's. It's our own perspective of a situation, and we try to find justification from lateral sources. Instead of seeking God's perspective, See, we should be wrestling this out with God, not with other people. See, King David was a guy that messed up a lot, but King David always went to God. That's why in Psalm 139, he wrote this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me in my anxious thought. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's how you and I should handle those things. Jonah does not. 
In fact, Jonah sits there stewing in his anger, and the Lord replies to Jonah's request for suicide. In verse 4, he says, But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Do you have any right to be angry? So now let's just recount real quick. Um, God wants to save the Israelites, I mean the Ninevites. Jonah wants to destroy them. Jonah doesn't want to look like a Ninevite sympathizer. He doesn't want to be called a prophet to the Ninevites. And lastly, he doesn't want to be known as a false prophet. Now, those are all reasons, but none of those are good enough reasons to condemn an entire nation to hell. So the answer is no. No, Jonah doesn't have any right. I want you to know that you don't have any rights either. I don't have any rights either. The moment that I became a Christian, I forfeited my rights unto God. You know why? Because I took the lead of Jesus. Jesus is the first one. He's our example. Jesus wasn't quite sure he wanted to go to the cross. And fooling the feel weight of it in the garden, Jesus prays that prayer, not my will, but your will. Right? I'm yielding all of my rights to allow God's rights. And I can't help but think, if Jonah would have prayed that one prayer, if he would have just said, God, I see what you did with the Ninevites. This is not what I wanted, but it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. If Jonah would have prayed one prayer, the end of the story would be different. His discontentment could have been lifted. He might have found some peace and some joy in his life. However, Jonah does not feel that way. He clings to his rights. We're going to get to that in a second. He feels justified in his bad perceptions, his bad attitudes, his bad intentions, so much that in verse 5 it tells us he leaves the city. Uh, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So how mad do you have to be at God that you leave the place that God told you to go to? How disgusted and angry and mad inside do you have to be to leave that place God has for you? See, when you start justifying your behavior, you will always find it miserable in the place that God's called you to. You'll, you'll be upset. You'll be mad that God's doing stuff around you. When you start justifying yourself, You'll be angry. Anytime we feel justified in our behavior, we sink another level deeper in discontentment. And Jonah leaves the place that God told him to go to. 
And guess what? He goes there and he sits down to wait to see what would happen. In his heart, he's still rooting for Nineveh to be destroyed. He's still hoping there would be a Hail Mary with one second left on the clock. He's still rooting for that. Once you step outside of that place that God has for you, it leads you to a fifth factor. And it's selfish perspectives. Really selfish perspectives in life. We talked a little bit about this last week. You know, we talked about my beat-up Plymouth Valari that I had. You know, the car that the doors would freeze and I'd have to thaw them out with water and then I couldn't get the door shut, so I'd bungee strap, you know, across it. You know, the piece of junk car. And I always felt like it was God's punishment, like God was humbling me for something I've done. Probably in those days a lot of things that I'd done, right? Um... But I always felt like, man, this is punishment. I hate this car. But it was really provision. It was really God's way to get me to and from school. The car did its job. And we talked about that. That, ha- that sometimes God's provision and punishment look like identical twins in our lives. And the only way that you and I can tell the difference is our perspective. It's the only way we can tell the difference between them is our perspective. And Jonah's here, and he's got a selfish perspective. He goes up on this hill, and he's waiting. He's overlooking the city. He's hoping for their destruction. And he begins to confuse everything that God brings into his life. So let's look at verse 6. Then the Lord God provided... There's that word again. He provided a leafy plant... And he made this plant grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was happy about that plant. Must have been a botanist. He's happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. There's that word again, provided. He provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided, there's that word a third time in this text, a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and he said, it would be better off for me to die than to live. Not changed one bit. And God questions him again. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Only the last time Jonah was silent, Jonah now has enough gall to verbally justify himself to God. And he said, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish... I were dead. Jonah loves that plant. Jonah loved that plant for one day. That plant was his buddy. I'd imagine Jonah, I don't know if he was bald, but I imagine he was bald. 
All men of God are bald. Right? Yeah. If, if there's, if, yeah. They got good looking hair and they're skinny and all that. I'd really question, I'd really question their motives. Yeah. I'd imagine he's bald and the sun is beating down on his head. And You guys know you got to have protection, right? In the summer, I wear hats all the time. Why? Because I burn easy up here. Right? And so I imagine maybe he's bald. I don't know that for a fact. And that plant gives him some shade. He loves that plant. He's not into people, but he's into plants. Which is a weird man of God. Hate people, love plants. And even after everything that's transpired, he still wants to die. I know people like that. I know people that they don't like people very much. But man, do they love their car. They don't like talking to people. But man, do they love their Harley. You guys know anybody like that? We love stuff. And we forget that we should be, um, we should be using stuff to love people instead of you know, loving stuff and using people. So many times we get that confused. So Jonah loved that plant. Finally, there's something breaking my way in the story. And our text tells us he was happy about it. That is, until God provided a worm. How many of you guys know that God uses a whale, but he also uses a worm? God uses not just big events, but God uses also small daily events. God sometimes gives us a big revival, and God uses something really big. Other times, God uses something very small. And he provided a worm to eat through that plant so that he no longer has shade. And then I love it to up the ante a little bit. God turns the uh, nature's thermometer up a little bit. And he provides a scorching east wind to make it hot. Now why would God do that? Because he was trying to redirect Jonah back to the city. He was providing a way for him to, to, to go back. And that was encouraging to me that even when Jonah had sunk to his lowest, he didn't want to change. He's in this mountain of depression, a mountain of hatred, a mountain of discontentment and miserability that God was still looking after him and God was still providing for him. And God does the same thing for us. That even when our perceptions aren't right, our attitudes aren't right, our intentions aren't right, when we try to mess things up for God in our lives, even when our whole outlook and perception 
is wrong. God has not written us off. God is still providing for us. And God is still pursuing us with his love. I'm going to ask Courtney to come, if you would, and I'm going to begin to wind this down here tonight. Because as we conclude the sermon, God speaks one last thought to Jonah. And he uses this as a teachable moment. And he says in verse 10, But the Lord said to Jonah, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I have not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So the moral of the story that God is getting through to Jonah is that you've got to put people first. You've got to love people. In fact, Jesus told us the greatest commandments there are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your might and your soul. And secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus explained what he meant. He said, all of the law and the prophets hinge on these two commands. That means the whole Old Testament hinges on you loving God and loving other people. And so at the end of our story, Jonah's left there in the middle of his bad perceptions, his bad attitudes, his selfish intentions, his self-justification, his bad perspectives in life. And the story ends. And we don't know where Jonah's at. We don't know what becomes of Jonah after this. We don't know what choice he made. But you and I have a choice. We can make a choice. And I'm going to give you the solution for your discontentment. If you're here today and you say, man, there's a part of me that's been unhappy. There's part of me that's been miserable. There's part of me that's just been wrong. Maybe it starts out with Hey, God's doing this, but according to me, I think it should be this. Maybe that's where it starts. Maybe you, you feel differently than what God's doing. Maybe it's just a bad attitude. Maybe you come in and, and into church. Maybe you come into your home. Maybe you go into your workplace with a bad attitude. Maybe it's festered beyond that. Maybe it's to that point of bad intentions where now we're acting out and we're doing things because we're miserable and we're hurting people that are around us. Maybe we're at that place where it's so bad that we think we're doing the right thing. We're justifying our actions before God and saying, yes, God, I have rights. I have a right to feel this way. 
Maybe we're at that point where it's just a bad perspective in life. The moral of the story is to have more concern for Nineveh than we do for all the other things in our life. Love other people. And so I found, you know what? The best way to get over feeling bad or miserable on the inside? Be generous to somebody else. Love somebody else. Put your focus off of yourself and put your focus on other people. And see if that doesn't change your disposition. That's why sometimes when you do ministry and you step into those places of need and you give, you give a, a free bag of groceries to somebody in need, you're more blessed than they are. Because God is doing something on the inside of you. He's curing you of being discontent. That's why it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because God changes us when we put our focus on other people. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment? Because maybe you're here today and maybe there's an area of your life where you're saying, Pastor, man, you've hit the nail on the head. I, there's just something in my life where, man, I've, I've been feeling discontentment about. And I, I, I'm just sinking and, 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 and maybe you're totally gone like Jonah, but maybe you're just in that, that middle step. You know what? Allow God to do something in your heart today. Allow God to change you on the inside. Don't be like Jonah and not allow God to do something in you. Maybe you're here today and you said, Pastor man, I just there's something I just need to repent of and I need to, I need to turn from it and I need to get it out of my life and I need to get right with God. You can do that right now in this moment. Just tell the Lord right now. Maybe you're hearing you say, God, man, I'm sorry for that attitude, for that intention. I'm sorry that I let this thing fester in my life so long. God, I give it to you. Let's pray that one prayer that Jonah failed to pray. Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will. Lord, in this place, as you're dealing with hearts today, God, would you change us and make us more like you? Lord, help us not be like Jonah, and descend into discontentment. Help us to have your heart and to see things like you see them. Now, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. God, in this moment, God, Lord, you're dealing with us. 
change us. Lord, I want to pray those things in your name. The name of Jesus, the name that's above all other names. Amen. Amen. I'm going to challenge you, church, this Christmas season as we're entering into December here. And and I know it's a festive time of the year where things are crazy and we're gift shopping and we're doing this and we're doing that. Would we not forget the reason why we do all of this? We do it, we do it for God, right? We, we remember God, God's love and compassionate, compassion to us, that he sent Jesus to this earth. That's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. But that's, that's, that's only half of it. The other half, why we do all the other stuff, is because we're sharing that love with other people. That's the other half. So let's go into this Christmas season focusing on on other people. Put them above. It doesn't matter if the Christmas tree leans or presents not wrapped right. It's people that matter. Amen. Do something in the life of somebody else this Christmas season. Amen. Amen. God bless you. These altars are always open if you want to stay and pray. Uh, Remember, if you haven't got your picture taken, Adele is in the fellowship hall taking pictures. But God bless you guys today. Hey, come back next week. We're starting a brand new series um, called Christmas at the Movies. Um, It's going to be really good. Uh, Also, we're going to be celebrating with Jim and Kathy and just uh, starting our Christmas season off right next week. I think next Sunday is even Donut Sunday, too. So come back next. Come, come back next Sunday. God bless you guys. Go in the grace of God today.